Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today for our week five mailbag episode i think i got the weeks off i think last week i posted it as week three but we're going to week four so i screw that up but this is our week five mailbag episode and joining me of course is my co-host charlie charlie right off the bat i need your review of nashville nashville is a fun place so i know that means it's not exactly your type of place but how was your weekend in nashville in the music city just because I don't like Nashville doesn't mean I don't like to have a good time. No, no, your definition of a good time is just different than the Nashville definition of a good time, is all I'm saying. Most people call Nashville like a really fun place to go. You would argue vociferously against that. Yes, absolutely. I do not enjoy it. But I you enjoy win. the game. I enjoy watching games afterwards. I do not enjoy downtown Nashville. What is it about Dallas? Because most people, I think, objectively would say Nashville is an awesome, fun town to go to for a weekend. What is it about Nashville? You're like, no, not for me. Too many people. It is a lot of people. I would say like it's the, the part of Nashville that people go to for a weekend like this is basically just, it's Broadway. It's one street, right? And there's a lot of bars and restaurants you can go to, but there's just a lot of people crammed into a not large space, so I totally get that. Um, but it's not just the people. You also have a problem with people who have uh, maybe overindulged themselves. Well, it's just very loud, too. You just it, can't it is, escape it. 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 it is obnoxiously loud. But it's not as bad if you're one of the people being obnoxiously loud, Charlie. Have you ever tried that? No. Not in your DNA? No. Can't make that happen? No. But did you enjoy the trip at least a little bit? Yeah, it was a good time. Did you go downtown after the game on Saturday? No, absolutely not. Of course you didn't. But that's okay. No, I wanted to watch the games and enjoy. And there were some good games to watch. And that's why you're a co-host of this Lori J podcast. Because you're more interested in watching football games. That's your definition of a good time. Yeah. I'll give you that. Thank you. Bravo. Credit. Credit given? Major props. Okay. Major props. Okay. Major. Actually, I didn't really go back downtown on Saturday either. I was doing the same thing, watching games. So I'm with you on that. But it was it was a lot of fun. At least I had a lot of fun. I hope you had at least a decent time, Charlie. But uh, all right. Per usual, you guys sent us a ton of great questions to cover. And we will do that, I promise, momentarily. But first, Charlie, you travel to a lot of games. You even go to cities you don't like, like Nashville. Would you prefer, when you're booking your stays in these places, Charlie... 
Would you prefer an overpriced hotel room that might or might not be up to your standards of cleanliness or a beautiful, immaculately clean, spacious three bedroom cottage in the heart of the most beautiful part of that city? Well, obviously the cottage. Obviously, right? Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. That's how I feel, but I just want to get another opinion on this. So if you guys are like Charlie and you're looking for a place to stay in the Classic City this fall for Georgia football weekends or for any other of the many reasons why you might be visiting the Classic City, book the Normal Town Cottage on Airbnb for a convenient in-town location while you enjoy all the Classic City has to offer, the Normal Town Cottage boasts three bedrooms, two full bathrooms, and a spacious living area with a full kitchenette. It also offers free parking on a tree-lined in-town neighborhood street. There's no better place than the Normal Town. Charlie, you and I are both Athens locals. Yes. Normal Town's like the place to be in Athens, right? Yeah. I mean, it is. People you can walk to the bars. Let's see, you got Normal Bar, Old Pal. Uh, high low. High low. People love high low. There's Great that spot. New Wings automatic place. pizza. Automatic pizza. Aguilinda. Well, is Aguilinda? I don't think it's reopened. They're well, they renovating have the food it. Truck. They had the food truck out there. Yeah. So there's a ton of cool spots over there in Normaltown itself. It's just a short drive away from downtown Athens. I mean, you could walk there if you want to be uh, a go getter. Like, I've actually walked from Normaltown downtown many a time. So it's very doable. But regardless, it is the best place to stay in Athens. And I mean, guys, the Normantown Cottage is the best place for you guys to stay in the best part of Athens. So whether you're looking to come for a game, a fun week in Athens, you're visiting people, whatever it might be, there's a lot of reasons you might come to the Classic City. Normantown Cottage should be your first choice because it just doesn't get any better than that when you're looking for places to stay in the Classic City. So don't wait, book today. All right, Charlie, let's go ahead. Let's get to these questions. I know we got a bunch of them. We got questions like still coming in right now. But what questions do our fine listeners have for us today? Okay, well, the mailbag is going to be a little different this week. Usually most of the questions look back at the game that we just played, but since it was Vanderbilt, well, we don't really need to discuss that. And we have a top 10 matchup looming on the horizon this weekend with Arkansas coming to town. So we looked back at Vandy a little bit. But we're going to start with the Arkansas questions first. Makes sense. All right. So DJ wants to know, have you changed your mind about Arkansas and are they legit? Well, Charlie, I got to give you props. You picked the Hogs to pull the upset and beat A&M. You got that one right in our pick show. So I got to give you some props off the bat here. I did not pick Arkansas to win that game. And I know people are going to say that you're just disrespecting the Hogs, Tyler. No, it wasn't that. I just, I honestly thought A&M was a better football team. They were not. And I was wrong about that. I think Arkansas is legit. It's not that I was suggesting they weren't legit to start with. I just wasn't completely sold on them as like a top 10 caliber team. And to be honest with you, I'm still not completely sold on them as like a legitimate top 10 team, but they are a legit top 25 team, a legit top 20 team. I I will certainly go that far. And this is a team that if we don't come to play and we do not bring our A game, they absolutely are capable of beating us. I do not think that is the most likely outcome in this game. But they are capable of doing that in a way that Vanderbilt certainly was not capable of, no matter how well we played or how poorly we played in that game. And they're capable of in a way that I don't think South Carolina was capable of a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, Arkansas, it's a good football team. I think they're... I know everyone wants to look at Traylon Burks. And I've been telling you guys for a while, since we knew that we were playing Arkansas this week, I'm going back to the preseason, that Traylon Burks is legit. I think he's one of the best receivers in the country. And he doesn't have a, a... 
consistent passer at the quarterback position to get him the ball in a way that I think could really activate his skill set more consistently. But Traylon Burks is as good of a receiver as we have in the SEC right now. So he is very good, but their passing game isn't like consistently dynamic. They had a couple of big plays against AM that really won them that football game, had that big 80 plus yard touchdown catch. I think it was in the first quarter to Traylon Burks down the sideline when they had man coverage. But KJ Jefferson, their quarterback, is a sub 60% completion guy. And that's what he's been his career. And he hasn't played a ton of games. I think he's what played five or six games in his career, but he's like a sub 60% guy. He's not a efficient passer and efficient passer. Let me get grammatically correct here. He's not an efficient passer, has a good arm, can, can make some good throws, but I would not classify him as some dynamic quarterback in the passing game right now. I think they're clearly everything that they do offensively is built off of the run game. The quarterback run game is a big part of that. But they're a little too one-dimensional right now. It's not entirely one-dimensional because they do have Traylon Burks and they can hit some explosive plays in the passing game, but they're just not efficient there. So they're just not efficient enough in the passing game for me to call them like a legit top 10 team, but they play hard. They believe Sam Pittman has them heading in the right direction. This is a team that deserves our respect. And as I said, if we are not ready to play, if we turn the ball over and we play sloppy and miss tackles and blow assignments, things like that, this team is capable of beating us. And I don't think you can say that the past couple of weeks with the teams that we play, going back to UAB, South Carolina, and of course, Vanderbilt, we, they, that team just, even if we played like a, a D-level game, Vanderbilt wasn't beating us. We still probably beat them by two plus touchdowns. So Arsenal is a good team. Um, I'm not ready to say they're, this is the toughest game the rest of the way on our schedule. I'm not quite ready to go all the way there. I know Curtis last week when we did that episode, he spotlight Arkansas as the toughest game left on the schedule. And it might turn out to be the case. It really might. But the fact that we have them at home, game days here, I know it's at noon, which people are not happy about. But the fact that, Game day is here, and they beat AM. It's a top 10 matchup. That has to catch the attention of our players. My concern was when it was announced it was a noon game, that's a classic sleepwalking situation. We saw that story play out back in 2019 against South Carolina at home. Now, the context is different. Arkansas is better than South Carolina was back then. We are better than we were in 2019. So it's not an exact parallel, but the fact remains, we have seen the Georgia football team sleepwalk through some of these noon starts at home. So that was a concern for me. But now when you have game day here, there are top 10 teams, a top 10 match with a lot of attention on this game. That's got to have our players' attention. So that certainly makes me feel a little bit better about the start time and that potential for a sleepwalk situation. But yeah, Arkansas is a legit team. They deserve our respect and um, we're going to have to be ready to play. All right. Well, building off of that, Witt wants to know, do you think Arkansas is the best team we will play the rest of the year? He thinks that Florida would be the popular pick, but he likes how they we match up against Florida more than Arkansas. Yeah, Wit, what's up, man? Uh, Wit, it's a great question, dude. I kind of just talked about that a second ago, but we'll go in a little more detail here with it. Looking at Arkansas and Florida, I think they're very similar offensively. Now, Emory Jones and KJ Jefferson are not the exact same style of running quarterbacks, but they're both dual-threat quarterbacks whose ability to run the football is their biggest asset. And both teams, their offense is built around the ground game. Everything they do in the pass game is built off what they do on the ground. They have quarterbacks that can make some nice throws, can push the ball vertically down the field, can hit some balls vertically, but they are inefficient 
and down and down, they're not going to be able to beat you with their arms. So I think they're very similar offensively with one big difference. That big difference is Traylon Burks. I just talked about him a minute ago. I think Traylon Burks is legit, guys. That guy is as good as there is in the SEC at the receiver position. Florida has some good players. Copeland's good. Shorter's fine, but they don't have a guy out wide like Traylon Burks. So I, I see where you're going with this with Arkansas. And look, Arkansas could very well end up being the toughest game the rest of the way. I just don't know if I'm 100% sold on that yet. Because I, I, I'll argue that Florida is a more talented team overall with their roster. But at the very least, I would say it's not a massive gap. I think Florida is more talented, but I don't think it's a massive gap right now. Uh, and then Arkansas's favor, Arkansas is clearly playing better defense. And that's the underrated part of Arkansas right now. They're playing really, really good defense. Barry Odom is awesome. I mean, he is the superior defense coordinator. When you are matching up him and Ty Grantham, give me Barry Odom all day long. Arkansas is third in the SEC right now in total defense, whereas Florida is 12th. So Arkansas clearly playing better defense. They don't necessarily have better personnel on defense. They really don't but they're just better coached. Schematically, I like what they're doing a lot more. We know Todd Grantham's MO. He's going to live and die by the blitz. And sometimes that works out really well. A lot of times it will absolutely get him burned. Jake Fromm made a living burning him on, on his blitz packages. But you got, look at this Arkansas team, man. And it's very interesting. They're running some of that 3-3-5 stuff. What I guess you would just call a 3-3-5. Really, I call it an inverted cover too. That Iowa State has really popularized. I spent a lot of time in the offseason studying that defense. And it is my favorite defense in all of college football. And all the different teams that run it they put their own little twist on it but it's basically designed to stop more or less like these spread offenses but still maintain some structural integrity against the run and it's fascinating to watch that and kind of just understand how they manage their run fits because you what you have in the in that look is you have three down linemen so people are like oh well obviously they're vulnerable to the run because they only have three down linemen but that's not necessarily the case they just have they do have more speed on the field to match up with some of the spread offenses that teams are throwing out there these days but how they manage their run fits it's a sight to behold guys it's really fascinating you can disguise coverages a lot better you can do a lot of different things from a schematic standpoint with that speed on the field with a three safety look and Arkansas is really bought into that, and, and they're causing issues with team. Look, A&M, guys, that is a team with Jimbo Fisher that wants to run the football. There's a downhill running attack. That's about a pro style of an offense as you'll see in college football these days. And they had a tough time running the football against that 3-3-5 that Arkansas was throwing out against them. Well, and I'll break it down in a little more detail when we do our preview episode, but it's a really interesting thing to watch. So right, right now, if I'm looking at Arkansas and Florida, I think maybe you could give the nod to Arkansas. The fact that it's at home, and Florida's on the road. It's a neutral site. It's not in Gainesville, so that obviously helps there. But maybe Arkansas is a tougher game than Florida. But I, I also still think Kentucky is good. I know they've come back down to earth a little bit the past couple weeks. They did cover. That was my lock of the week in our picks. They did cover barely uh, 16 to 10. Will Levis is still a better quarterback than they've had in Lexington, but his numbers have started to come down to earth a little bit. I still think Kentucky is a team that's very well-rounded. I think they might be the most balanced offense that we're going to face the rest of the way. Does that make them the best team? No. We also have them at home. That'll probably end up being a night game. It could potentially sneak into being a 3-30 game. And then there's Auburn. I know last week I said that Auburn was the toughest game of the schedule following the Penn State game. And then the Georgia State game happened, a game that they should have lost. And I think that, God, Charlie, Auburn, how many times can this team get lucky and have game-changing bad calls go in their favor at home? Apparently several. It's just what Auburn does. I mean, with Arkansas last year, right, your beloved Hogs, 
they won that game. They beat Auburn last year. The SEC officials bailed them out. And yeah, Georgia State had them, had them beat. Now, Georgia State got a pump blocked that Auburn, that set up Auburn score. Actually, I think Auburn actually did return that first score. And that can't happen. You can't do that kind of thing. But that was not a catch. That was just not a catch. The SEC officials blew that. Auburn ended up winning that game. But obviously, Auburn might not look as strong as uh, as you were talking about that Penn State game. But as we often say here on this show, you're never as good as you look on your best day, never as bad as you look on your worst day. You're usually somewhere in between. Now, the Bo Nix situation with him getting benched. Now that's a whole nother can of worms. I don't know how that's going to play out. So I'm going to back off saying Auburn is the best team uh, on the schedule the rest of the way, or that's the toughest game the rest of the way. Really, that came down to the fact that it was going to be on the road in Jordan-Hare, and we've seen some really tough environments in that stadium. That's really why I thought that would be the toughest game. I said back in the preseason, I didn't think Auburn was going to be that good. I think they still are better than I thought they would be. And the fact that that was the, the big road game on our schedule where we could trip up that's why I had the number one. But maybe I'm backing off a little bit now after what we saw against Georgia State. I mean, I think you can make a strong argument that Arkansas is the toughest game on our schedule. I understand the noon star has people concerned, but again, the fact that they're a top 10 team now and the game day is going to be here, I think that mitigates that concern to a large degree. And one thing I would say about all those teams that we're facing, whether it's Arkansas, whether it's Florida, whether it's Kentucky, Auburn, these games we're talking about, like which one is the toughest game for us the rest of the way, they all have one big thing in common. None of these teams are dynamic when it comes to throwing the football down the field. And if there's a a vulnerable part of our defense, we know it's the secondary, right? I, I think that's a little bit overplayed, as I've said many times throughout this season, going back to the preseason. But clearly, our front seven is dominant right now. And I'm not saying that there's no one that's going to have the ability to run us. Someone will have a little bit more success running the football than we've seen to this point. At some point this season, it's going to happen. Just get ready for that. But all these teams, whether it's Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, even Auburn, maybe to a lesser degree, but Auburn as well, these are run-first teams. Their offenses are entirely built around running the football. And what do we do better than anything defensively? Oh yeah, we stop the run. So honestly, I don't think any of them match up well against our defense. Now, does anyone in the country match up well against our defense? <laughs> I think you can, probably, you can probably say no there. We're that good. But when you're talking about teams that their entire offense is built around running the football, that's just not a favorable matchup for them going against our defense, whose greatest strength obviously lies in the front seven. So, I mean, in reality, I'm not scared of any of those teams. But if I'm answering the question, what's the toughest game left on our schedule? I don't know, man. The best team might be Arkansas. I think you could say probably Arkansas or Kentucky. I, I stand by what I said. I think Kentucky's better than Florida. I could be proven wrong. We're going to find out this weekend. I still think Kentucky is better than Florida. So I think maybe Arkansas or Kentucky are the best teams left on the schedule. Going to Auburn is the toughest spot left on the schedule. And then Florida is going to be the biggest game left on the schedule as we know all the ramifications that come with playing that game every single year. But let me get into the question because I think I'm just kind of beating around the bush here. This is a tough one for me. I don't know what's the toughest game left on our schedule. It's just so tough because I don't think any of them match up all that well with us. But if I had to pick one, I, I know I said Auburn last week. Arkansas staring us right in the face right now. I know that's the popular choice. A lot of people still want to say Florida. Mm, I'm going to stick with Kentucky. I'm going to stick with Kentucky because I think Kentucky is a better football team than Florida. But I, you could go with any of these teams, honestly. I think they're, they're they're kind of in a pack there. Okay. Next up, Taylor wants to know, what are your biggest concerns with Arkansas coming to town this weekend? Biggest concern... And, and you can do this brief because we know you're going to have a 
uh, preview episode. So, so I have your permission days. to not go too long? Or is that what yeah. you're saying, that I shouldn't go too long? No, I'm just saying you're going to have a whole episode on it, so you don't need to like do a deep dive right now. Okay, Charlie, I hear you. I hear you. I see where you're going with this. I'm going to go quick, guys. All right, so biggest concern for, in this game... Traylon Burks at the top of my list, guys. Again, I know that we've talked about this many times. If there's a major concern defensively, I don't know if it's a major concern, but there is a concern on our defense. If there's an area where, where we are vulnerable, it's at cornerback, and Traylon Burks is a dude. He's really, really good. Now, he's battling that heel injury, uh, flared up on him a little bit in that game against AM, but he's going to go. He's going to fight through it, and he's very, very talented. But one thing that also really concerns me, and it always concerns me, is playing against and defending a dual threat quarterback. And I mean a true dual threat quarterback, like let's say Cam Newton, that can hurt you with his arm and also dice you up with his legs. And KJ Jefferson, I think is good enough to say that he is a true dual threat quarterback. You know, he's not efficient as a passer. He's a sub 60% guy, but he can hit enough big plays with his arm. And he is a load to bring down. He is kind of, speaking of Cam Newton, he's kind of Cam Newton-esque. Now he's not Cam Newton, but he's that bigger physical runner that especially when you get in a short yard situation you might just go chalk it up it's gonna be a first down because he just gets that that head of steam leans forward that big 245 pound frame and he's a load to handle it's not just the quarterback himself it's what his ability to run does to open up the run game for the rest of the running backs and also just the entire offense what it does to open up everything for that offense because what they're going to do with a mobile quarterback like that is they're going to option off one of our defenders they're going to leave one of our guys unblocked they run that kind of veer option play where they are reading the front side defensive end if he goes to the running back jefferson's going to pull it and and run basically between the tackles if they are kind of surfing and playing the quarterback then he's going to hand off the running back around the end, right? That's a play that's kind of come in vogue the past couple of years, and they run that a lot. They ran that a lot against AM. They ran that a lot against Texas. That's kind of, if they're doing some quarterback run game, that is their go-to play. They'll run some quarterback draw, they'll run some quarterback power, some counters, some things like that. But his ability to run the football, what it does, it gives them a plus one scenario. And that is tough for defense to handle because it's a numbers game, guys. Now, one thing that has made our defense so dominant is that we're so strong in, we say front seven, really it's the front six, but we're so strong up front, the first and second level there with our defensive line and our linebackers, that we're able to control everyone's ground game to this point with even numbers. What that allows us to do is play three over two outside, play two over one, four over three if they're in trips, and not leave those cornerbacks in those vulnerable situations where they're operating out on an island. I'm not saying we don't put guys on an island at times. We do. You can't do the exact same thing every snap because it's too predictable. But we're able to keep those two high safeties back. We're able to play with that shell, the middle of the field open look, and really protect some of those cornerbacks as much as we can and do a lot from like a schematic standpoint, from a coverage standpoint. We're not limited as much because we have to roll safety down in the box. We're not having to do that right now. Now, Arkansas is going to try to force us to do that. That's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to run the football, establish a run, force it to bring safeties in the box, get one-on-one looks for guys like Traylon Burks outside, which is what they were able to do against AM, and try to hit some of those big shots down the field. That's what they're going to try to do. And if we can control the ground game, then that is a big deal. But it's tougher, it's easier said than done when you've got a mobile quarterback in the vein of K.J. Jefferson. So Traylon Burks concerns me because that guy's just a stud out wide. But just the fact of facing a dual threat quarterback in general, it just poses some issues. We've done a better job of handling those kind of quarterbacks the past couple years. I don't want to say we have it figured out, but we've done a pretty good job with that. 
But we've got a couple of guys coming up in the month of October. We're starting with KJ Jefferson. Then you've got Will Levis, who's maybe not quite as much of a running threat, but the guy can absolutely run. Did a lot at Penn State. And we know Emory Jones coming up at the end of October. So we're about to see a string of these guys, and we need to have answers. I think that we will, but it's still something that always concerns me personally. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay. Well, Guy wants to know how you would attack the Arkansas offense and defense. So another Arkansas question, but just give us a brief overview because we know we'll hear it again. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go more into more in depth later this week. Yeah, we'll dive a lot more in detail with it on the preview show. But it's a great question. You guys know I love the schematics. I love the X's and those stuff. So I really appreciate the question, Guy. How would I attack the Arkansas offense and defense? I think Arkansas is a little undersized up front. I think Arkansas has some very good active linebackers, but those are guys that don't really operate as effectively when they're having to take blockers on and the ball's being run right at them. They do a really good job of rallying to the football. Like I said, they're very active. They run all over the place. They play very hard, but they're like bumper pull. Henry, those guys, are Grant Morgan, they're all three very good linebackers, but they aren't the biggest, strongest guys, and they don't really handle stuff coming at them, downhill at them, as well as they do running sideline to sideline, which I think that's really how they want to operate. That's what they do best. So to me, I would try to run the football right at them. AM did not have a lot of success with that. However, AM, there's some context there. They're playing two true freshmen in that game. Their starting left tackle went out in the game, had to bring in a guy off the bench who was not very good at left tackle. They also had their, their starting right guard out in that game, so they had a backup there. So it was a mash unit for AM up front. And they were not able to run the football with a ton of success. Now, I will say, I don't think AM ran the ball enough. I think AM should have run the ball a lot more because they had a, a decent amount of success at times. And their big touchdown, the long, their lone touchdown of the game was a long touchdown run by, by Spiller. So I felt like they kind of went away from the run, especially when you got Zach Calzada back there who's just struggling to throw the football right now. I know they got down and were trying to fight their way back. I just felt like, felt like they should have run the football. They had a decent amount of success when they were able to, even with their issues on the offensive line. So I know people are talking up this I keep hearing about people talking up this Arkansas defensive front and they're good like they're fine 
but I just don't think this is a dominant run-stopping defense. And they've put up pretty good numbers right now at this point. They did a good job slowing down B. John Robinson. That was also because Hudson Card, you know, Texas's quarterback at that time in week two, was flat out abysmal in that game. That game got him benched. And he should not have been playing because right now, Casey Thompson is lighting it up. He just lit Texas A&M up. They dropped a 70-burger on, or not Texas A&M, on Texas Tech. So there's some context there as well. They were able to slow down B. John Robinson, but Hudson Carr was not challenging through the air at all. So they were able to load up and really try to stop Texas's best player, which they did a pretty good job of. So they, they've been good. Their numbers are good against the run right now. But when you watch them play, I, I still just think... This is a team that if we commit to it, we have not committed around the football yet this season. And honestly, I'm not sure that we will. But I think this is a game where Zamir White, Kendall Milton can have a lot of success running downhill right at this Arkansas defensive front. I really believe that we can. And I think that we're going to need to do that because Barry Odom traditionally plays... um, a bend but don't break style, I guess you could classify it as kind of an umbrella type defense. Again, I said they're, they're playing this like 3 3 5, basically they're operating with three safeties. They're trying to limit big plays down the field. And AM was not able to hit anything explosive in the passing game. Now, AM just doesn't hit anything explosive in the passing game as a rule because Jimbo Fisher is still stuck in like 2011 offensively. All the all things that we complain about so long for our offense coordinators, Jimbo Fisher is a carbon copy of that. I mean, he 100% is. But they were not able to hit anything explosive. Texas was not able to hit anything explosive because they're not giving them that. It's in a way kind of similar to what we saw against Clemson, where they were just sitting back there dead set on not getting beat deep. And we kind of played into that. We did not run the football enough to try to force them out of that. I think we're going to need to do that against Arkansas to force them out of that. Now, we've been very successful hitting some explosive plays in the past game in the past couple weeks. We've been very explosive, actually. But I don't know that Arkansas is going to give us that out of the gate. I think that we're going to have to try to pull them out of that. And traditionally, we know that teams have played us by rolling that safety down because they know Georgia wants to run the football. And we saw South Carolina do that. And what did we do? We burned them. We saw Vanderbilt do that. What did we do? We burned them. We saw UAB do that. What did we do? We burned them. So Barry Holmes is a smart guy. I have a lot of respect for him as a defensive coordinator. He's seen that tape. Has he learned from that? I think probably. And again, as a rule, he likes to play that kind of, I don't want to say conservative, but he likes to play that umbrella defense and keep things in front of them and rally to the football, which is what Arkansas has been really, really good at. So I know it's kind of counterintuitive when you're playing Georgia to not roll that safety down the box right away and take away our run game. But as I kind of said on the recap show, I don't think we've been a dominant run team yet. And we haven't shown that we are that. We're not the same Georgia rushing offense. I think we have the potential to, to grow into that, but we haven't been committed to it yet. So if I'm them... I'm playing exactly the same way I did against A&M and force you to try to run the football and force us out of the out of that kind of umbrella look with the three safeties and, and, and kind of take your chances there. So if I'm Georgia, how do you attack that? You run the football. We need to be more committed to it than we were against Clemson in week one. Now, offensively, what does A&M like to do? Well, they like to run the football. Everything they do is built around running the football, play action, take shots down the field, primarily the trailing burst. That's what they want to do. So what is the answer to that? I don't think we have to do anything like crazy from a schematic standpoint. It's kind of what I said earlier. It comes down to can we stop their running game or at least keep it in check, slow it down enough with even numbers to not allow them to get one-on-one opportunities with a guy like Traylon Burks on the outside? Because that's not a matchup we want. Like whether it's Darian Kendrick with Keely Ringo, we don't want any of those guys matched up one-on-one consistently with Traylon Burks because he's that good. You got to respect him. So for us to be able to stay out of those situations, we've got to be able to do what we've done 
really for a year and a half now, stop the opposing team's run game with even numbers. Now that does become more difficult when you have a quarterback that is a dual threat guy, that is a major threat with his legs, and is a big part of what they do with their ground game. That makes things tougher. Now, We'll see how healthy KJ Jefferson is. You know, he went out of that game against AM, came back late, but he was certainly not moving 100%. Now, we'll see what this week brings. I'm just going to operate on the assumption that he's going to be 100% until I hear otherwise, but he might not be. And that could be a major factor in this game because he's a big part of what they do in their ground game. And if he's a big part of what they do in their ground game, he's a huge part of what they do offensively in general. So to me, there's nothing, there's nothing fancy here, nothing special. I know they want to run the football, but make them prove it to you that you have to bring a safety down. Make them prove that, all right? And we'll go into more detail of that on, on the uh, preview episode, but um, there's a little a little snippet for you, a little sneak peek. Okay. Christopher wants to know about Arkansas's offense. Sorry. Okay. It says it, he thinks that Arkansas's offense is based off establishing the run. So he asks, if we shut down the run, could we see another blowout coming? If we shut down the run? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. If they can't run the football, they can't do anything. Right. They don't have explosive plays. They, they, not without the play action, vertical shots, and man coverage. Right. I mean, we saw them hit that big pass against AM, the 80-yarder to Traylon Burks, and he's a stud. He's awesome. But that was a function of them being in man coverage and having a safety on the box because they had to respect the, the Arkansas run game. If we shut down their run game without having to bring safeties down and roll guys in the box – then they are not equipped to beat us through the air. It's it's just that simple. Now they are they are good defensively. They've been playing really well. Barium has them playing well. So we're we gonna put up sixty two like we did against Vanderbilt. No, of course not. We're we gonna put up forty plus like we did against South Carolina. Maybe not. This is a better defense. But I mean, it depends on what your definition of blowout. But I think that we can certainly win this game comfortably if we shut down the run. If we do that, we win this game comfortably. We, we win it by multiple touchdowns. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now you know I love a good noon game. I know you love the nooner. But I also know I'm in the minority. So yes. Did you hear Curtis take some shots? I think it was yeah. directed at you last week. I feel I, like it was. I don't care. Everybody likes to do their own thing. I like to watch a noon game because then I can watch the other games at night. And I don't stay up late. So it works for me. Fair enough. That's all right. Everybody has their own thing. Um, Batch for Life wants to know how in the world Arkansas and Georgia are playing at noon as a top 10 matchup. And I can tell you the answer. It all has to do with TV contracts. Well, TV contracts, but this isn't really written in the contract. It's like a gentleman's agreement with LSU. That's really what it is. Right, but that's, I mean, an Yeah, yeah, contract. sure, sure. Well, yeah, fair enough. It all has to do with ratings and money, people. And ratings just and money. treating LSU favorably. Yes, I mean, LSU gets preferential treatment when it comes to home night games. If they're not playing a 330 CBS game with their home games, that game is going to be at night. There's nothing necessarily written down there, but it's kind of a gentleman's agreement. Just randomly always works out for them like that? No, that's too convenient. Just That's just the way it is. So LSU has a home night game, or they have a home game against Auburn. That game is going to be at night, and that means that Georgia is going to be playing at noon. That's really what it comes down to. It's that simple. Now, I will say most of you I know are not like Charlie, and you don't like the noon games. You see noon games as like the dead zone. Like that's where you put the worst games. ESPN doesn't always necessarily view it that way because – Generally speaking, now things with all the, the new TV contracts they've got, things have moved around. But traditionally, the number one SEC game obviously is a 330 CBS game. Then ESPN gets the second pick, and that's 
their their primetime night game on the mothership on ESPN. And then that noon slot is the third pick. That to them is a, is a pretty good spot. Now it's not their seven o'clock or I guess in this case, a nine o'clock game with LSU being uh, in the central time zone. But they don't view it the same way that a lot of people in the Georgia fan base view. Now I know why people like night games. I understand it. It's a great environment. Obviously people are fired up. You get all day to tailgate, all that. It's a fun, it's a great environment. But again, Charlie's right. Comes down to TV ratings and TV spots and what ESPN values, all that. They want to spread things out. Now, does this game deserve a night spot? Yeah, of course it does. But LSU gets preferential treatment. That's just a, it's, that's as simple as I can say it. LSU gets preferential treatment when it comes to their home night games, just like Mississippi State gets preferential treatment, allowed to use artificial noisemakers with those stupid cowbells, and no one else in the SEC is allowed to do that. But because it's a quote unquote tradition. All right, so that's what it comes down to. I know it sucks for a lot of people, but that's um, that's the way it is. It's it's crazy, Charlie. Top ten matchup, game day's gonna be there, and the game's at noon. It's, I'm it's so weird. Excited. I know you're excited. <laughs> I know, and everyone's like, "Shut up, Charlie." But I know, I know. But I mean, that's what it comes down to. All right. Well, the next couple of questions are looking back at the win over Vanderbilt. Chatty151 says he saw Javon Bullard playing with the first string guys. So, do you think that will continue? Yeah, honestly, when I saw him out there on Saturday in the first quarter, I got instantly concerned. I was like, where's Brini? What's going on? Is he hurt? Oh, my God. We already had Tyke Smith out. Like He's supposed to be coming back soon. But like, oh, my God, what's up? And I was like scouring the sidelines looking for him, and I didn't see him right away. So I'm like freaking out. I was like, did, I, did Brini get hurt? And I just missed this. Or why is Javon Bullard in? But no, we just uh, we were up pretty big, and we want to get some guys, uh, some reps out there, especially in the secondary where we just don't have a ton of depth. We don't have very much experience depth at all, especially with Tyke Smith out right now. So that was just Kirby clearly trying to get a guy that he thinks highly of some reps in the situation to try to develop some depth. That's how you develop guys. You got to have them go out there and play. That's why Curtis is kind of complaining about Carson Beck not getting to throw the football except for three times against Vanderbilt because how do guys develop? Well, they get reps in game situations. And so he was doing that for Javon Bullard, which is great. Um, do I think that will continue? Uh, not necessarily. I think it'll continue when we have opportunities to do it in games like that. Now, are we going to be in a position to do that with the teams that we have coming up the rest of the way in October? Probably not, I would say. Now, if we are, that says something really good about this football team. But I don't think we're going to be in that kind of position, at least not consistently, maybe in the fourth quarter. I, I just don't see there being, a, a, especially with Tyke Smith coming back, I don't see there being opportunities to get Javon Bullard in in the first quarter like that and to work with the first string defense the way that we did against Vanderbilt. I think that was kind of just a situational thing based on who we were playing and the, how that game was going at that time. But good question. I saw that too. Okay. Next up, Alexander asks, what is the justification for keeping Stetson Bennett in as the backup? We know what we're getting out of Bennett, and if our offense is going to look – that our offense, excuse me, will look ordinary, says that we might as well give those reps to one of our future quarterbacks. He would rather go through the growing pains with Beck or Vandegrift than just go through the motions with Bennett. Alexander, yeah, Alexander, I, I completely understand where you're coming from here. It makes a lot of sense. I was very frustrated myself that Carson Beck did not get more opportunities to actually throw the football. I know that we were up in that game, and Kirby just at that point was just trying to get out of there and didn't want to embarrass Vanderbilt any more than we'd already had done. We had, had inflicted sufficient embarrassment on them at that point for last year. But my thing is like, well, if that's the case, we'll get him in earlier in the game. All right? he, he needs opportunities to go out there and grow and develop again. That is how these guys grow. 
They have to have opportunities to get those reps in game situations. But here's my answer to your question. Now, this is pure speculation. Let me start by saying that. Pure speculation here. I don't have any inside information on this. But kind of just reading between the lines here, paying very close attention to everything Kirby says about the quarterbacks, all his press conferences, how he's handling the quarterback situation right now. I just can't escape this feeling that Stetson Bennett might be coming back next year. I know he's technically, quote unquote, a senior right now, but everyone gets the COVID year. It would not shock me in the slightest bit if Stetson Bennett came back next year and utilized that COVID year, come back for a sixth year, or what I think it would be a sixth year, uh, for or whatever. I would not be shocked to see him come back and fight for that starting job. Why would he not? Think about it. He, right now, he's the backup. He's the number two guy. When our starting quarterback was out with an oblique injury, who got the start? Not the guy that Kirby said was a number two. Stetson Bennett got the start. If those same guys are the guys he will be competing with next year for the starting quarterback job, if he were to return, he's already ahead of them right now. Why on earth, if you're Stetson Bennett, would you not try to come back and win that job? Because right now, you are you are the heir apparent. Does that make sense, Charlie? Is that crazy? Yes. I mean, you, like, is there a realistic chance Stetson Bennett might come back? Is that is just that is that the answer to like I mean, everything? If I was Stetson Bennett, I would. Why would you not? I mean, yeah. I mean, he he's worked he's worked his tail off. He's it means something to him. He wants to be the starting quarterback at Georgia. He's had a taste of it, and he lost it. But with JT moving on, I mean, he's the number two guy right now. Why would he not come back if he thinks he has a legitimate shot to win the job? And I think Kirby might be operating under that assumption. Again, pure speculation on my part, but why is Kirby allowing Stetson Bennett to play such extended minutes when, if, he, if he is indeed moving on after this year? and not getting those guys ready for the future. Now, you can be of the opinion that Kirby just can't handle the quarterback position, and maybe that's the case. Maybe it is, and he just can't get it. He doesn't know how to prepare for the future. Maybe that's the case. Or, here's an alternate viewpoint, maybe Kirby does think he's preparing for the future. Maybe he does think Stetson Bennett is the future, as in like the next year quarterback, right? The guy's gonna be the guy next year. Maybe that's the case. I, I again, that's speculation on my part, but just like I've tried to think about how Kirby's handled this quarterback situation from every different angle. I've put a lot of thought into it and I just keep coming back to this. Why is he giving Stetson Bennett so many opportunities? Why does Stetson play basically two full quarters against Vanderbilt? I think Kirby is under the impression that there's a good chance that Stetson might be coming back. Or maybe he knows something that we don't know. Maybe him and Stetson have talked about it. Maybe Stetson has made those intentions known to the staff. And it's just not public knowledge yet. Just throw it out there. I'm just throwing it out there. So when people say, well, why isn't Kirby preparing for the future? Why aren't we getting these young guys ready? And my answer to that be, might be, maybe he's just operating on the idea that Stetson Bennett is going to be the quarterback next year. I know people don't want to hear that. I know people don't want to hear that. I know we're excited about the highly recruited guys and, and Vandegrift and Beck and, and Gunnar Stockton coming in next year. And I know that means some of these guys might transfer out. And I know that infuriates people out there. But I'm just saying, don't count out the possibility that Stetson Bennett comes back next year. It's certainly a possibility. In fact, I might be, right now, if I had to put money on him, I would put money on him coming back. That's just me. I could be totally off base there. Totally off base, no inside information. But if I had to put money on it, I think right now, based on everything I'm seeing, reading the tea leaves, putting it all together, I think I'd put money on Stetson coming back. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Jay Rake. Sorry, I almost flipped those around. And said Jake, but it's Jake. Yeah, yeah I, I was conf- I, I got a little confused myself at first, but yeah, Jake. Yeah. He has a question about the run game. He says that when Trust comes in, granted that the Vandy defense was tired, but he, it instantly looks better at right guard than with Erickson. So, do we need to take a further look at that first? I mean, yeah, this is a great question. I think we need to take a further look at a lot of things in the offensive line, whether it's Trust moving inside, keeping Stalier at left tackle. Whether it's moving Salyer inside to guard and, and bringing Broderick Jones in the left tackle, I think all of those things merit a look. But as Curtis and I were talking about in the recap episode, my concern right now, I think everything that you said there, Jay Rake, makes a lot of sense. But my concern is, is this game in a top 10 matchup the game to do that? I feel like if you were going to do that, UAB or South Carolina, or Vanderbilt would have been the opportunities to do that. Now, I know we, we moved some guys around in that game uh, against Vanderbilt. We had some different looks out there. We had Trust in there at guard. We had Salyer in a guard. We had Roger Jones left tackle. We had Mims a right tackle. We had Willick in there at guard. We had guys getting opportunities. And that was, I mean, Vanderbilt had their starting defensive unit in there for most of that game, even those when we had our backups in there. But I just, I, I hesitate to say, first off, I don't think that our staff will make that move right now. I really do not. I just, I don't see this as a game to do that because Arkansas is a team that absolutely is capable of beating us if you have some issues up front, if you have some miscommunications. Like those things can get you beat in a game like this. So I, I just don't know right now if number one, our coaches want to do that in this situation, if they feel comfortable. And number two, I don't know if I feel comfortable doing it in a game like this. I wish that they would have gotten them more reps early on. I wish those guys would have been ready earlier on. Um, and maybe they were, the coaches just didn't give them those opportunities. I don't know. But I, I have gone on record many times saying that we need to beef it up on the interior. We're not getting enough movement on the interior of our offensive line. We basically have two centers playing with Van Pran and Erickson. We need some bigger guys in there. We need a Ben Cleveland tiger. Now, Ben Cleveland's not walking through those doors. We need someone that can get more movement. So if that's moving Salyer inside, if it's moving Trust there, whatever it takes. But I do believe for our run game to really, really kick into high gear, we're going to have to start getting more movement on the interior. And I, I do think all those combinations warrant more of a look. I think they merit that. But I just, I don't know, man. Like, have we have we crossed that point? I mean, we're, we're in October now and we have a heck of a lineup of games here this month. And I just don't know if, if we're going to be in a situation to kind of work those guys in right now. I don't know. I I hope we can figure it out and maybe those guys step up and they earn it in practice. Kirby's big on practice. But right now, I would be very, very hesitant with the teams that we have to play. I wish we would have done it in the past couple of weeks, but it didn't happen. So right now, a big part of me says we're just going to end up rolling with who we were rolling with until it comes back to hurt us. Okay. Well... There's a chance Darnell Washington could make his season debut this weekend. So with that in mind, Jay Swift wants to know, schematically, how will adding Washington with Bowers make us even better on offense? It's all about personnel and what personnel groupings we allow or we force defenses to play with. That's really what it comes down to. When you We run a lot of 12 personnel. 
all right, which is one running back, two tight ends. Right now, our two tight ends in that 12 personnel, in those 12 personnel looks are Brock Bowers and John Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick's a good blocker. He's a valuable player for us. He serves a role in this team. But what John Fitzpatrick is not, is he's not really a threat in the passing game. He can catch a ball here and there. He's wide open, but he's not a major matchup problem from like an athletic standpoint for linebackers and safeties the way that Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers are. So if you have a 12 personnel look out there and you've now got Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington out there on the field, defenses have to respond with a different personnel grouping. They cannot just sit there in their nickel package all day long with lighter personnel because with that look, we will run the football down your throat. At least traditionally we've done that. This year, we haven't shown any commitment to the ground game, so I don't know if this year is different or not. But in the past, and generally speaking, that's what will happen, especially when you throw Darnell Washington in the mix, who is our He's our best inline blocker at tight end. Uh, he did not come in that way last year, but he really committed to learning how to block. And by the end of the year, he was a devastating blocker on the perimeter force. He really, really was. So when you have a guy like him, you match him up with Brock Bowers and 12 personnel looks, defenses have to respond with more run defenders, bigger, heavier guys. When they do that, that poses a major problem for them because now we have guys like Brock Bowers who runs a 4-5, potentially maybe even sub 4-5, but somewhere around there, who is a great athlete at tight end. And then Darnell Washington, who's 6-7 and a freakish athlete himself. And those guys who are brought in as run defenders to defend against 12 personnel looks, they have no chance to cover those guys. They simply cannot defend them. So schematically, that's what it does. That's kind of what I was saying like, on the recap episode, people are, I've, I've got a couple of questions over the past couple of weeks, like what happens to Brock Bowers when Darnell Washington comes back? And my answer continues to be nothing. Brock Bowers is like, his snaps are not going to be eaten into by Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington is going to eat into John Fitzpatrick's snaps. That's what's going to happen. Brock Bowers is far too much of a weapon. He's our biggest weapon on offense right now, guys. He's leading the team in receptions and touchdown catches and in receiving yards. That guy is not going to be losing reps. He's going to stay on the field. And it's going to make him even more effective and even more of a matchup issue because now you have another tight end out there who's a similar tight threat, not the same kind of player, but he poses a similar type of threat with his ability to catch the ball from that tight end position in a way that John Fitzpatrick does not. So I think that we are going to be able to devastate teams once we get Darnell Washington back. I mean, we're doing big things offensively. We're more explosive offensively than we have been in a while already without Darnell Washington in the game. And I think it's going to open up things even more, not just for a guy like Brock Bowers, but also for guys like A.D. Mitchell, for Jermaine Burton, for Arian Smith. When he gets back healthy, Kyrus Jackson, look, he's running into form. All those guys are going to benefit from Darnell Washington coming on the field from a schematic standpoint. Okay. Well, we've got three questions left, and I grouped them together because they're all more big-picture type questions that involve Georgia's opponents. So first, Trenton asks, with Clemson turning out the way they are, how much is our week one win devalued? Well, it it certainly doesn't help. I know a lot of people are watching that game. I was hearing from some people on social media. Charlie, you were texting me. You were all excited about Clemson losing. A lot of people were, and I get it. Like We don't like Clemson. It's fun to watch a team like that lose. Dabo is a very hateable guy, in my opinion. I think he's a snake oil salesman, a used car salesman. That's how I kind of see Dabo Swinney. So it's nice to see Clemson lose, but when I'm looking at this game, I'm thinking, okay, well, we want our best win to this point of the season to look as good as it possibly can. So when if they lose to NC State on the road, that certainly does not help us. But on the flip side, there's a couple other things. You can also say, 
Well, that completely knocks Clemson out of the, the playoff conversation, right, Charlie? Like, even if Clemson ends up winning the ACC, they're out of the playoff conversation, right? Yes, Two absolutely. losses. I mean, no team has gotten in the college playoff yet with two losses. And this Clemson team, the way they've looked, they're not going to be that team, even if they run the table the rest of the way. There's no – what win on their schedule is going to give them that that cred. It's just not going to happen. Yes, So agree. I think they're out. And what that does is it opens up the possibility for there potentially to be – a second SEC team. So let's say that for some reason we don't end up winning the SEC title. I mean, that's not a given. Like We, we don't know that we're going to win the title. Uh, we don't know that at all. So that gives us some breathing room there. Now, Oregon's sitting over there in the Pac-12, but you got Oklahoma. That's not looking great. Ohio State still probably the favorite to win the Big, the Big Ten, but they're not looking great right now. So there's this potential for chaos this year. Now, maybe Cincinnati benefits from it that you can beat Notre Dame this week. But I also think there's a possibility now, it opens up the possibility more so than it was previously, that you can get a second SEC team in the college football playoff with Clemson losing with the ACC, the likely ACC champions. I would still say that Clemson's the likely ACC champion, although they're playing terribly right now in offense. And we'll see what happens with the injuries with Brzee and Shipley. As of right now, we're recording this. I don't know what's going on there, but there's some concern in Clemson land that they're both ACLs. So maybe they don't win the ACC, but... If they don't win the ACC, whoever ends up winning that league is not going to be a playoff caliber team. I just don't see that right now. So North Carolina go down to Georgia Tech, bad, but multiple touchdowns. So I think the ACC is out. I don't think the ACC is going to make it to the college football playoff this year. So it just opens up that possibility. So that that helps there. I'd also say this. While the Clemson loss or Clemson losing makes that win look not as great, it takes some of the shine off of that win. I will also say on the flip side, Arkansas jumping up to be a top 10 team, beating Texas and beating Texas A&M, that helps mitigate the Clemson shine kind of coming off of that win, as does Kentucky being a team that I think is going to win nine or 10 games. So sure, the Clemson win might not look as great right now, but I think the Arkansas win is going to look, if we if we win, if we beat Arkansas, that's a big if, I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to get ahead of myself. If we beat Arkansas, that win is going to look a lot better than we thought it would earlier in the year. If we beat Kentucky, I think that win is going to look a lot better than it did earlier in the year. The way that Florida played Alabama, I think that that earned them some more credibility. So if we win that game and they don't fall face the earth, they don't lose Kentucky and they don't lose to LSU on the road, then that game might give us more credibility. It might look better than I thought maybe previously in the year. So I think, you know, all in all, I, I, I think it's net even here, to be honest with you. Now, Clemson, here's my concern. Clemson might fall off the face of the earth with those injuries. Like if, if it is ACLs to Brzee and Shipley, they might fall off the face of the earth and they could lose four games. But we played them at full strength, at least close enough to full strength for them. And it was week one, so we were kind of working out the kinks there. When we had a ton of guys out and the guys that were even some of the guys that were playing weren't fully healthy. Jermaine Burton had just been practicing for a week or two. He wasn't his normal self there. And I still think being the beating the name Clemson, that's a brand name in college football. I think just beating that name, beating Clemson and that big moment there, that does wonders for your resume and kind of the way that people perceive your program nationally. Because even though Clemson might fall face of the earth, people still remember that being as a big game and Georgia won that big game. Okay, well, obviously, Bama is ranked number one, and we're ranked number two. So, Brandon wants to know, how big is the gap between one and two, Bama and UGA, and everybody else? I will venture to say it's pretty pretty, pretty wide. Um, Seismic. Yes. It's the first one that comes to Oklahoma mind. Oklahoma at three. No, no way. What have they done? Oklahoma not, should not have lost. great things. Oklahoma beat West Virginia because of a bad snap. Uh-huh. West Virginia was going down to kick a field goal to they win that game. two lane 
issue yeah. for week one, and then week two they played a baby seal and they won that game convincingly. But then they all they, I'm not, I'm not gonna say they should have lost who Nebraska was it before Nebraska. They Nebraska. easily could have lost to Nebraska, who is an okay football team. Like they're fine. They're not as bad as it looked in week week zero against Illinois. But that's not a great football team, and that was at home. So right now, right honestly, Oklahoma has issues offensively. I don't know. When that's ever that's never been the case with Lincoln Riley. Defensively, they're still they're good. They're better than they have been defensively. But they are struggling on offense. I mean, they're calling for the backup Caleb Williams openly in that game while their quarterback's out there. They cannot run the football, which is very un-Oklahoma. Like another one sees them as this high-flying passing offense, and they do that as well. But they have traditionally run the football very, very well. And that's not happening for them right now. So they aren't looking the part. Ohio State's got issues right now. Oregon looks pretty good. It's a really good win for Oregon uh, at Ohio State, obviously. But Oregon, when I watch that team play, I just I they're good. They're very good. I and they're very good defensively, especially. And they have some playmakers on offense. I just don't think they're on our level or Alabama's level. I really don't. So the word I would use right now, obviously, Clemson's not there. I think it's a seismic gap between one and two and everybody else right now. Now, things could change. Teams evolve over the over the course of a year. Teams get better. Things improve. Oklahoma, at the end of last year, was a very different team than Oklahoma early in the, in the midpoints of that season. So they have time to grow up. And, and injuries happen. Like Things happen. But right now, I, I'm with you, man. I think it's Georgia and, Georgia and Alabama and then everybody else. And honestly, I call me crazy, man. I think there's a pretty decent gap between Georgia and Alabama this year. And I know you're going to call me a homer when I say that, but look at how these two teams are playing right now. And I know that Bama got challenged more against Florida. It was a really good win. Honestly, the win against Florida. I mean, I said last week that we had the best win of any team in the country with that Clemson win. And I, I, I've got to back off that now. It certainly doesn't look that way now. Now I will say Clemson was a different team in week one, uh, but still, I would say that's certainly, I have to back that, back off that and say that's not the best win in college football right now. I think Oregon, you might say that, that that win over Ohio State on the road is a bigger win. Maybe Bama at Florida now is a bigger win. So I got to back off that a little bit. But, you know, Alabama might have been challenged a little bit more at Florida. I think right now we are ahead of Alabama. I think we're better defensively. I, I feel strongly about that. I think we have more weapons offensively. I really do believe that. And I think JT, like maybe Bryce Young has a higher ceiling long-term than JT, but right now I would take JT Daniels over Bryce Young. I, I, I really do believe that. So I think there's a pretty decent gap, not a massive gap, but a pretty decent gap between Georgia and Alabama. And the fact that Alabama is still number one is crazy to me. If it's based off what's happened this year, you can't just fight Alabama, Alabama being number one. The only reason Alabama is number one is because their name's Alabama. And they've been on this run with Nick Saban. He's the greatest coach in college football history. And all that's true, but... That always frustrates me because I think rankings should be based off this year, not what different Alabama teams in years past have done. That, that I, I've never quite grasped that. It's about this season. That's why rankings, I think, are ridiculous. It's There's too much of that going into it. If it's based off this year, Georgia has clearly been a more impressive team than Alabama, and I don't think it's particularly close. Okay, our last question comes from Cliff. He says, so if Florida is so scary and Bama hasn't lost a step, how do you explain the first half of the Florida-Tennessee game? Well, Cliff, that's a good question. I mean, my answer to that would be is Florida's not so scary. And I know you're being it's tongue-in-cheek and you're being sarcastic there, but Florida's they're, like, they're what I said they were. They're a good team. They're uh, good to maybe potentially very good, but they're not an elite team. I know that's all semantics, right? But they're not an elite team. They're a good team that 
can play Alabama to a virtual tie and dominate that second half of that game because they were getting dominated in the first half. But they, they're a team that has the ability to do that on any given Saturday, but they can turn around the next week in the first half and be dead even against a bad Tennessee team. Now, I know they pulled away from Tennessee. Tennessee just doesn't have the horses right now, and it's at Florida at night, and that was always going to happen. But you're right. I mean, that was a that was a tough look for Florida in the first half of that game. Guys, Tennessee is not good. That is not a good football team. And they play Florida pretty much dead even for a half. And I know there's two halves of every football game, and, and you got to factor in how things ultimately ended up in that game. But Tennessee was right there for a full half of that game. And that's what Florida is. Yeah, they can the second half against Alabama, they played lights out. But that's not who they are. All right. And then who, how they play against Tennessee in the first half of that game, they can turn around and, and do that against a bad Tennessee team. And that's not who they are either. They're somewhere in between that. They're a good team. They're not an elite team. They're not a bad team. They're a good team, right? And they're going to be up and down like that because they don't have a quarterback that can consistently throw the football down the field. They're too one-dimensional offensively. Defensively, they're okay. There's some vulnerabilities, especially in the secondary. And I think teams that are more equipped to challenge that can certainly take advantage of that. But yeah, I mean, Cliff, you're right. I mean, Florida, they're, they're not what people are saying they are after that Bama game. I mean, I've never seen a team get so much credit for almost winning a game as Florida against Alabama. And yeah, they played really well in that second half, but Jesus Christ, you would think they'd won the game. I mean, I think half America thinks Florida won that football game. I mean, it's crazy. I've never seen a team get that much credit for almost winning a game and for almost not losing a game. It's just crazy to me. But yeah, I'm right there with you, Cliff. Okay, I just saw another question on Instagram. Wait, I thought you said that was the last question. There's one more. Okay, one more. All right, this question is from Mike. And he wants to know why you hate on Charlie. She's the star of the podcast. Is that a real question? Yes. That's a real question. Yes. Do I hate on you? I mean, it's kind of how it's always been. It's all in good fun, though. I think uh, yeah. if people, I, I hope it comes across, it's all in good fun. I, I, if people knew us, they they would know that we've known each other a long time. It's all in good fun. Um, but it, it's official now. You are the star of the podcast. Like I've gotten this so many times. Charlie, you are the star. Am I? You're, you're, I don't feel like a star. You are what everyone tunes in to listen to. Uh, I don't know about that. You are you, you are the heart and soul, Thanks, the star of this podcast. I I don't know if I was ever the star, but I'm the baton has been passed to you. You must carry the torch for this podcast the rest of the way. So does that mean you're doing all the editing now? Because the star of the podcast to do all the editing, all the posting, absolutely, all not. that. Like, <laughs> I don't know are you ready for work. all that? I don't know how to work because I mean that. that's what the star has to do. You're the star. No, I'm just the personality. No, the, st- the star has to be personality and you have to make the show actually happen. I do a lot. I just don't know how to do the technological You do a lot. Technological we, we appreciate parts. It. Yeah. Technological, we'll go with that. Yeah. I can teach you. Eh, it's I don't want to learn. You don't want to learn. No. But you can't be the star of the podcast if you don't do these things. That's okay. I don't need to be the star. Yes, you do. You know, deep down, deep down, you get a tremendous amount of satisfaction when people calling you the star of the podcast. You know you do. It's very humbling. Yeah. It's, it's well-deserved. I will I will say it's very well-deserved. You've come on this show and you've added a different dimension to the podcast. We love having you on here. So I'm glad you are getting your just due. And I'll try to not be as hard on you. Oh, Sorry, I Mike. Care. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's just kind of the relationship we have. But that's okay. Um, I'll try to not be as hard on you. Well, it's just how it works. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of fun. But anyway, all right, guys. Thank you all for all the questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support. Charlie and I are the star Charlie and I will be back later on this week I'll actually be back in the middle of the week with our official game preview for this big top 10 matchup between the dogs and the hogs 
And then Charlie will be back with me to wrap the week up as she is every week with our picks of the week. It was another good week for both of us with our picks. We're kind of getting the hang of this. So we'll, um, we'll recap last week's picks and give you our newest picks later on this week. But thanks for listening, guys. For Charlie, the star of the show, I'm just your lowly host, Tyler. And as always, go dog.